It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. You can find Blackballed on The Ringer NFL feed. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, often described as Reagan with tweaks, it's Andy Greenwald! Good morning, Chris. Oh, hi, Andy. How are you? I'm doing okay, man. Uh, I think it's it's really important that people know that we, we, we ordinarily have our succession podcasts up as soon as the episode is mm-hmm. over. But we needed about 12 to 20 hours to process that post-credit scene. And, yeah. and seeing Logan in the quantum verse, I think, was the realization for me of a lot of things that I've been dreaming about since I was a child. The thing is, you said Logan singular. Logan's plural. That's right. Because now is, is, is he's, he's the new conqueror, I guess. Pharaoh Logan was especially disturbing. <laughs> uh, Greenwald, we're here to talk about Succession. Episode three, the like probably the most low key funniest thing about this thing, mm-hmm. maybe the only funny thing, is mm-hmm. they just called this episode Connor's Wedding. It was such a flex. <laughs> so, uh, Connor's Wedding, written by Jesse Armstrong, uh, directed by Mark Mylod. So, the big th- batting three and four in the succession lineup mm-hmm. creatively, and uh, an episode that everybody I think who watches this show expected to eventually happen, but mm-hmm. didn't necessarily know it was going to happen three episodes into the final season. Ordinarily, we have like all these little, you know, we have plot recaps and we have questions and we have, you know, what happens next and ramifications and favorite lines. And we'll probably get to some version of all of that. But when you see such an iconic character pass away Mm -hmm. uh, so suddenly and in some Mm -hmm. ways completely off screen, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just such a brave creative step for this show. And one I think it really needed to take. What did you think of the episode and the decision? If you had told me on Friday that I would spend the weekend being traumatized at the sight of siblings in distress, I would have said, yes, I am taking my children to the Super Brother, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, Were the, the Mario Brothers in distress or was it your kids? Well, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. there's Koopas. <laughs> I mean, there's the whole Kong army. Yeah. Um, Thank you for contributing to, to Nintendo's to Nintendo's weekend. I think that's really good of you. I'm a big believer in the Illumination Animation Studios and they deserve my dollars. Um, 
I, I think that you're right to say we knew that this type of episode and this type of plot twist was, was coming. I think that it does Jesse Armstrong and the entire creative team an enormous disservice to say anything other than the fact that, yes, all caveats aside, they are not, um, you know, coal miners, but this was wildly brave. Mm -hmm. It is consistent with a creative team that announced going into the fourth season of a show that could easily have run seven to 10 that they would be finishing. Mm -hmm. You and I have been saying for weeks, if not a little bit into last season, that it seemed diminishing returns to continue playing the same sort of cat and mouse and mouse and cat games between the kids and the father. But most importantly, the show told us, right? The title is Succession. Someone is going to have to succeed Logan Roy. Mm -hmm. The show began with Logan in medical distress. The show continued to run with that theme throughout in big and small ways. And this season began with an incredibly McBain-like speech in a diner. (laughs) Yeah. So this was coming. But I don't know if there is precedent for a show saying, um, we're going to do this thing that everyone inevitably knows is coming that will in some ways rob the audience and the creative team of something hugely important, which is to say Brian Cox as an actor. The foil for the whole show. Um, You rarely look at a solar system and say, you know what, this could use less of the sun. Mm -hmm. But I think that the show's and the creative team's just intense appetite for drama and for possibility and for conflict demanded that they do this. And it's breathtaking. I mean, we will talk about the specifics of the episode, how it played out, I think what it means for the series, and I look forward to doing that. But just purely from a let's look at the game board, it is absolutely thrilling that they completely scrambled everything with seven episodes to go. Mm -hmm. It is a completely different show now. In some ways, the show it has always been, but everyone's relationships have now changed. Yeah, most of, I, I mean, for as much as the these characters have become almost like creepily, like, you know, fan favorites, not not creepily fan favorites, but like the way that they have been sort of just assimilated into social media mm-hmm. and into like our kind of common everyday, like, mm-hmm. oh, like that's something that Roman would say or something like that. Now that they have... Like you said, there's no sun, but there's also dramatically like nothing for them to be in opposition of except for one another. Yeah. You know, this isn't going to be a show about Kendall and Shiv and Roman opposing Frank and Jerry and Carl. You know, this is going to be a show about the giant hole at the center of this family and what happens next. And you mentioned the first episode, you mentioned the beginning of the show. This, this episode, Connor's Wedding had a lot of of echoes of the first episode, sometimes down to just little dramatic beats. Like in the first episode of this series, Logan is firing a, a different person pretty mm-hmm. much in the same role of what Jerry was doing. Yep. He's he's firing uh, Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a kind of distance between him and the kids the same way there is now. They're not necessarily fully estranged, but there's all that sort of horse trading about Tom stepping up into Jerry's role and, you know, Shiv is going to go do something mm-hmm. else. And then at the very end, he's like, so I need you guys to just sign off on this. And the kids say no, and that's what brings on his brain hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. In this episode, he's firing Jerry. There is an event that they're supposed to be all attending, although Logan doesn't seem like he's maybe going to (laughs) really turn that plane around and hop by Connor's wedding. Mm -hmm. And Roman says, leaves this voicemail message, which I don't think had anything to do with 
<laughs> I don't even think Logan heard it, but he's going to have does, probably— Does anyone listen to voicemails? Seriously. I mean— <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, Scott Tobias had this line in his Vulture recap that grabbed me where he was talking about the way the kids talked in this episode mm. and how it kind of called back to the early part of the series where it seemed like they were still sort of feeling around for how the dialogue was going to work in this show. And everybody was sort of, fuckity fuck, fucking fuck it, fuck. Yes. You know, and like, I, it didn't really seem like it had the like, th- this is like, your takeout line from the show. It's, yes. It was more like, I don't know how to actually communicate, so I'm going to use the word fuck as mm-hmm. punctuation marks throughout my, and, and ellipses and hyphens. Mm-hmm. And what did, did you notice that too? Yes, I think that's an interesting observation. I observed something with the language too. I didn't read the recap, so I can't speak to what Scott Tobias wrote. But my feeling about the beginning of this episode was that it was absolutely manic and unhinged. Yeah. Part of that may have been the increased adrenaline because there was a sense, and we'll, I think we should. I think for the inside baseball fans here, we should talk about the like behind the scenes of like what we were expecting, what happened with screeners, and all of that, and how that affected Mayor. That's definitely did, why people are tuning in. They're that's just the like, end of the podcast. Guys- but did did affect or didn't affect our watch? <laughs> but uh, so maybe I was a little tuned up as well. Mm-hmm. But I thought that the first ten minutes seemed completely unhinged from it's on an emotional level, on a tempo level. And in retrospect, what I f- feel like was Jesse Armstrong and his creative team making what we were perceiving as a bug into a feature, which is they've run out of language. They had reached the end of this road. That's really interesting. They were not clever anymore. They were not poetic in their swearing. Right. Roman is so disturbed. And we will say this again throughout this podcast. Kieran Culkin, this is his Hall of Fame tape as far as I'm concerned, this episode. He is absolutely himself in a manic state, in a dangerous state with his emotions, which he has no communication with and no regulation of. And so he just is blathering fuck. Yeah. Like he's just using the word as if he does, as if he's had some sort of aphasia and can't communicate in any other way. There was nothing quotable in the first 10 minutes, you know? And, and even if, and I was not expecting what happened to happen that early. I thought that there would be a comedy of errors at Connor's wedding. And then, you know, then something shows up in the punch bowl. That's not the way it played out. So it's not the way it plays out. So, so yeah. So, so I, so I think that what I mean by the turning the bug into a feature is that they were done. They had run out of road with this relationship and what's at the end of it. You said before that there was a, when you take Logan out, there's a giant hole in the series. What was so striking and discomforting for me about this episode was what his absence revealed was the giant hole that these characters carry inside of them. Yeah. That for three three seasons and change, they were still hoping that some aspect of their father, whether it is his pride, his love, or his anger, which is the flip side of his love, would fill it. And all of a sudden, in different ways, very different ways, and I assume that will continue, the realization and processing of that unfillable void is going to consume them. You know, the way that the actual... So, I mean, I'll just... There's not really much of a recap to do here, but I'll (laughs) I'll do it just to say that shortly after taking off from New York City, uh, Logan, who's accompanied by Carl, Frank, Tom, and Carolina, and uh, Carrie... Uh, is and he's on his way to Sweden to see Matson. 
has what seems like a heart attack that we do not see. It happens off camera. Tom, who's acting as messenger, and I noticed when I rewatched the, the episode last night, he tries calling Shiv multiple yeah, times. Yeah, she, she, she declines his yeah. call three times. And uh, times. he finally gets through to Kendall and Roman and t- tells them that his father's heart has stopped while they are disembarking from the pier in the city for Connor's wedding at Ellis Island. And he's, you know, he says he's not breathing. They're doing chest compressions. There seems to be this confusion as to whether or not he can, he's there or he's, he's, ba- he's breathing at all or he's not breathing. And now his heart has stopped and they're doing, but they have to do these chest compressions probably as a kind of, while you're up in the air, they have to keep try to keep him alive for as long as possible, no matter what's happening. And they get this incredible scene where Roman and Kendall, kind of playing hot potato with the phone, get to say their goodbyes to their father. And, you know, we talk about the, like, unwritten quality of this sh- episode, the way it doesn't feel like, here's the speech, here's mm-hmm. the great line. That That whole scene... You're waiting for somebody to become like Hamlet mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk to the ghost. And they're just like, fuck. I, well, also, yeah, I, like, I, I don't forgive you, but yeah, you we were love you. And then dad, I guess. Roman didn't say emoji. I love you. And, you know, they finally get Shiv. She, she goes through the same experience that they did. She's talking to them. This whole time, they're trying to get information from the variety of people on the plane who all are dancing around just saying your father has died. Uh, I, I think... I mean, I don't want to de- derail my, my my incredible recap. Your recap, yeah, um, which included just the flex that you watched it twice. I mean, by the well, way, I went back and watched a couple of things because a couple of things I was confused by the first run through. Yeah, uh, but but what were we gonna say? I mean, some of us are like Jay Z. You know what I mean? We just go in the booth, one take over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. We all have different <laughs> styles. Um, I, I really so there. So I, my recap is done. <laughs> no, no, we'll come back. Like, and Tom felt sad, yeah. I think. Yeah. And then also, luckily, I think there's not that much more in terms of like the, the yeah, it doesn't. To it, get I, into I it. was just going to mention that uh, when Roman was refusing to accept reality for that brief moment, yeah. I was like, are we going to get a fucking Undertaker moment? Like, is this guy coming off the plane? Oh, when he was like, yes. we don't know that he's dead. I yes. was like, dog, if Logan comes off well, this plane no, in so, anything other than a body So bag. this is what I wanted to talk about. Like, th- there were a couple pieces that I saw this week being like, well, here's the thing about succession that people, I mean, there's going to be more of this. We we sometimes even frame conversations this way. You think it's this, but it's that. Yeah. And there was a piece being like, you know, it is lauded as an American drama, but it really, it's a British comedy. Uh-huh. And here's why, and here's the lineage, and here's the way that it treats emotion or language or whatever. I do think that the, one of the most subversive things about the show is that it is essentially a, it, it is now a uh, Mount Rushmore American prestige television drama that is written by this sort of bookish intellectual British comedian slash socialist, mm-hmm. right? And and he's never going to play by the rules that we think these things ought to operate on. But we are watching it through the same lens that we've watched the last- Do you think you and I can be comedians slash socialists? I think, I think we can each be one. And I oh, won't cool. say which, but together, that's what makes our podcast magic. It, we're watching it through the same lens that we've watched the last 15 years of these prestige dramas. And so what was one of the things that was really getting my heart racing last night was realizing what we're being given versus what my heart and brain and body is expecting. Yeah. And what I mean by that is Logan didn't have any kind of farewell speech. This was not an episode of Parenthood. He, he, he did not say the thing that needed to be said or the thing that didn't need to be said. He was an asshole and he got on a plane and he didn't get off of it. And him. the last thing he said and, to all his kids was, you're a not serious people. Yes. He did say, I love you. 
he he did. He did have his last comment in the last episode, and you kind of felt like that in retrospect. But in terms of episodic television, it was not built to be the end of a major character. That also just historically happens at the end of an episode. It certainly does not happen off screen. And to play it that way was so radical, mm-hmm. honestly, and reminding us that he, this show is not going to play by the rules that we expect on any level, including especially sentimentality. So what we receive instead was, you know, chaos. So you know that what that made me think of is obviously the reason why Succession is probably a sensation to some extent is because the set dressing and the accoutrement of the show, like private jets and private mm-hmm. choppers and I guess cruises to... Staten Island and and all all the things just boats that is comes with the lifestyles mm-hmm. of the rich and famous like that's the fantasy part of the yep. show and I think that like if it if it didn't have that it would be missing a huge thing but the reason why I think the show resonates with people is because I without knowing anything about Jesse Armstrong's life or any of the writers in the show that moment was pulled from something I have the same thought and you don't get to hear a parent give you a final speech. Yes. You are. You get a weird phone call and you spend the first five minutes being like, what the fuck are you talking about? And, and then... And anybody who's ever had that phone call knows exactly how that feels. And nine times out of 10, it's not your father would like you to come to the hospital so mm-hmm. that he can give you a beautiful sepia-toned speech before he mm-hmm. passes away and you now have complete closure on all the things in your life. And also, like you find out that the things that you thought were in your hands are in somebody else's hands because they just happen to be next to a parent yeah. or something like that. So it's it's stuff like that that I think that makes this show kind of in a in a rare air that that only belongs to like 10 or 11 other shows in the last decade or so. You know, where it's like you're using... It's the same thing with Breaking Bad. Nobody, most of the people watching that show don't deal meth or understand chemistry or, you know, are ever going to meet anybody like Gus or Mike or, or Jesse. But the emotional beats of the show are real. Yes, but I would to say that this is even more significant yeah. because I, I completely had the same thought. I would say I took the same note, but we all know that's not true. Um, someone, if not more than one person in that writer's room has They talked had, about what it's like to get that phone call. They've had, the they've had yeah. this. Yeah. They've had this happen to them. And most of us will have this happen to us. And, you know, I know you and I as, like, only children with aging parents, like, I, every time my phone rings, I, yeah. this isn't a great part of me. I assume it's that phone call. Constantly, you live with that, um, you live with that shadow. And I think in terms of a show in its final season revealing what it is and what it was doing, this was so significant because you could believe you were watching a different show. You could believe that this was a series in which the dominoes were being set up over a period of three plus years for a very dramatic boardroom coup, you know, or something uh, really satisfying as an audience member to see a plan come together, to have one of the kids pull off what Logan did, mostly off screen at the end of season three, right? That's not true. That's not what the show is. I feel like everyone is waking up this morning to realizing that everything the show did for three plus seasons was to set up the dominoes for the episode we watched last night, mm-hmm. which was to take 
characters who exist in a carefully curated emotional and financial world where everything is controllable. I need this boat to go back to shore now. And Hugo's like, yeah, okay, I'll take care of that and also get you an Advil. There's always someone to fix the things for you, realizing that they too live in a world not only that has dive bars and karaoke bars, but has sudden, meaningless, catastrophic loss that you were not prepared for. And the first time, and there was more than one time in this episode that really got me. Um, the first time that really, really, really threw me was when Kendall is on the phone with Frank and, um, you know, he wants to talk to the pilot. Yeah. He's saying, you know, and with Jess, and it, maybe it's with Jess before the Frank phone call. When he's, he's like, like, I want the world's best this and the world's yeah, best that and waiting Dr. on the fucking tarmac. Judith. Yeah. And, and he's like, I think he says it to Frank, though. I think he says, I, I want everything done the best. I want everything done right. Right. You know, and again, this is why you cast the show the way you cast it. Peter Friedman, an incredible veteran New York stage actor and performer who is just in the background of the show. But we remember that he kind of did have a better father-son relationship with Kendall mm -hmm. than Logan did. And in that moment when he's just saying, I'm not going to lie to you, son, basically. Yeah. And he hears Kendall be like, do everything perfect. You know, and we see... Peter Friedman's face. They're not even sharing a screen. They're in different rooms. That was so futile and it was so devastating. And it's a testament to the writing and the construction of the show that Kendall, who is a punching bag and a clown and an asshole, uh, is also capable of demonstrating this, just of, of, of generating this empathy because this is something that's going to happen to everybody and nobody's prepared. Nobody's rich, rich enough to inoculate themselves from something like this. So in the, um, after show that they do like they, they have like a making of episode after succession oh, who, who hosts that <laughs> did, did we not get the interesting um they were talking about how they essentially shot the sort of first 30 minutes of this episode with the kids mm -hmm. the siblings as um more or less one take you know uh, like a long one take even though it was cut obviously mm -hmm. going back and forth between the play and that it was essentially as like a one-act play that went on for 30 minutes in my life. It was like switching out reels because they shoot on film because it's succession. It's the best. But uh, that there's obviously inherent in that production style or in that way of doing it. It's like you're sustaining... <laughs> they shoot on film. I'm sorry. I just need to take a second. Go on. They, yeah, it's crazy. You're able to... By, by doing that kind of production style, you're able to sustain a certain mood and it feels like chaos. The thing I thought was amazing about this episode, among other things, was there's the emotional and dramatic chaos of what's happening. And then exactly what you're saying about Frank is that Armstrong never loses track of where he is in the pitch count mm -hmm. or where he's, where he's in the count against mm -hmm. the batter, where he's like, Frank's going to be talking to Kendall. Mm -hmm. Jerry will be in this room and then Roman's going to walk in and look for comfort from his lover mother and she will deny him, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the only person at the end of this episode who has anything vaguely approaching a TV moment is Connor, yep. who has actual emotional candor with this person that he has largely had a transactional relationship with, you know? Like, the little things that he makes sure run through the episode or run through the series or call back or feel emotionally consistent or dramatically consistent... And then even just like the kind of gestures he makes to, it's not, even if it's going to feel fucked up because he's in the air and the kids are on the, it's like everybody's floating. Logan is stuck in this limbo mm -hmm. in the air and the kids are all stuck at sea. He, I mean, it's almost, it's mythological yeah, the way he pulls it, this off. And he put them in rooms. Yeah. They were just in rooms and they had no one but each other and you could feel 
the cameras that running mm-hmm. in a in an, in an astonishing way in a loud cranking and, way because it's on film it's on, <laughs> yes it's a hand it's a daguerreotype they film it on and they have to expose each shot for yeah. hours that it created space and again this is what you get from multiple years of a um a serialized television show for the cast and the ensemble to sing in harmony mm-hmm. um and to see relationships in miniature like before going out to meet the press when Kendall and, and Roman are like, you're, you're fucked up, you're even more fucked up. Like you, you are always yourself, no matter what. But that for each of these performers and in turn each of the characters to have individualized idiosyncratic moments and responses and reactions was really stunning. Because you were saying, Siobhan comes in and has a similar reaction. And she does in broad strokes to someone who is emotionally choked off realizing this the impossible thing. This is in the, uh, the recap that I did. <laughs> oh, did you? Did you just, yeah, I was referring to it because that's the only recap I read. You're my guy. Scott Tobias could never. Um, but then moments later, cracks appear as they naturally will, mm-hmm. right? Where she's where, like, why didn't you come get me sooner? But then she's also like, she's suddenly, in moments of, like that, in moments of emotional trauma or chaos or tumult, you shift. Uh, shifting sands. You're, you know, where you stand in a, mo- a certain moment. It might feel good to do what Shiv does, which is be like matter of fact, telling Roman that he's delusional, that he's clearly dead, and so we have to move on. And then in the next moment, when we see her, she's individually folding Kleenex on her lap, yeah, which is an actorly choice, but a one that is inspired and kind of moving because people do things with their hands, with things they find in their pocket. They try to put order into chaos in that way. And that's living in its present in that moment. And um, other little human things, like there's a moment when they're recapping what just happened. You know, I, I, yeah, James, he's you, like, you're, you're a recapper yourself, I know. No, so. but it was like, what was it like when, when you told her, yeah, and she was like, "I thought it was I, mom." mom I wish I it was. It to, yeah. What? And they're sort of laughing at thinking this is instant nostalgia for something for a moment when it wasn't as bad as it is at this moment because it's only going to get worse for right. them. And we should talk about the Connor part because there was a. There was but isn't a, that like the the way life works? Like if you have a yes. terrible day, let's say you're out with your significant other and you guys have like I, I remember like often like if I've ever been on vacation with my wife and like it's been a bad vacation day mm-hmm. the way to salvage it is at dinner that night mm-hmm. is to kind of start telling stories about that day and I was like you mean when we were screaming at each other in like a Volkswagen like that was that was fun you know but like you can you can kind mm-hmm. of smooth it over by making it a story yeah you, you look we're all passionate about storytelling in this town you know <laughs> but but that but 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 that's that's exactly right you try to impose Everything about these people's lives, and frankly, everyone's life, is about trying to impose order on disorder Mm -hmm. and to try to put meaning onto chaos and control onto absolute fucking mayhem. And so telling the story of it was a potentially futile attempt to just get the reins back. You know, by retreating back to business, as Kendall does, is the other way to do it. You know, again, they are practicing what they themselves preach. In the previous episode, they're like, you know, this isn't a this isn't personal dad. So now they are taking refuge in it being business again. She says that, the same thing to him on the um on the helicopter in the first episode of the series. Right. Yeah. I mean they 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 can say that all they want. And, you know, again, the genius of the show is that's always been hollow. Yeah, it's there's never, no distinction between business and personal. And, and it's not aspirational. It's not like it would be better if it was. Um 
the emergence in the last two episodes of Connor as the only sensible one mm-hmm. in a way because of his distance. Because again, like sometimes, um, Chris, you know, I, I've, I, I've recently traveled abroad. You know, I don't know if I mentioned it on social media at all, but I, I, but I, this is, trust me on this. I'm going to do this. In Japan, how do they do this? I, yeah. I'm going to trust, uh, trust me on this. I did read this book on the difference between Eastern and Western aesthetics written in was that the fucking thirties by Delta? Tanizaki. <laughs> it was on a bullet train. You know, it's a very fast train they have there. I think Uncle Joe Biden wants to do a similar thing, but it was basically about how like Japanese houses are built to accentuate space and American houses are built to like cover up the space. And, um, are you, are you, are you enjoying this? Well, you know what? It's isn't it funny how all those books are like. Never mind. <laughs> all, all those books about aesthetics written in the 1930s that we like to reference on this podcast. When after a major episode of television, <laughs> look. Uh, it, frankly, it, it doesn't matter. But um, they didn't get Connor. Right. I was going to say the thing about this episode is they didn't go get Connor. There, and say, like, there, do you want to? There are no jokes. Yeah. Really. There are a couple of incredible lines like the Reagan ones, but there are no jokes. But one of the things that's that is like Tenazaki's book on uh, aesthetics is that it's funny in like not ha ha funny, but it's funny while you're watching Connor. I uh, sorry, uh, uh, Kendall and Roman and Shiv freak out and talk into their dead father's ear. Part of uh, the viewer is like Connor's his kid too. Like we sure. provide the joke, yeah. right? But anyway, but his distance might ultimately be what saves him. Because as he said at the end of the last episode, not true, by the way, no one ever says the truth on this show, that if you learn, if you don't have love, you learn to live without it. It actually just means maybe he's thought about what it feels like to live without love and what he's willing to accept. Not in a transactional way like business. No, I think that, I mean, it's silly to speculate about a fictional character, but like in some ways, but like, I think that Connor is very perceptive in some ways and completely obtuse in some ways. Yeah, you but, know? but in some emotional ways, he's it, maybe it's like a rough-hewn, you know, handmade kind of logic, but it, it, it makes sense. And like, if you just take his language, it was remarkably, he seemed to be on the, expre- the fast track he was towards where being, he's going. He was being, not being honest to his he, siblings. He was he, being honest to his... Not just to, last episode, though. He yeah. gets the information and he says, he never liked me. Immediately, mm-hmm. he knows the truth. And then he says, you know, one of the next things he says is, um, my dad is dead and I feel old. Yeah. And then when he says to Willa, like, he wants to get married because he's afraid she'll walk away. Right. And it's like, for all of this guy's major, major flaws, including I would, I would argue as a former English major, as a dramatic misread of Charles Dickens, <laughs> he, he, everything he says on those on that Do you track want to is plug true. your Goodreads account just so if everybody wants to see it's been dormant for a while books on aesthetics and thanks here. but I did take a great course in Victorian literature <laughs> I Professor remember Kevin that. McLaughlin yeah. really blew my mind I remember mind being like I like the promise ring you'd be like I like William Thackeray <laughs> it's uh, incredible we're friends there was a couple other things I wanted to just kind of bounce off of you yeah uh, I talked about the limbo and the sort of in-betweenness of this episode where we've got characters in the air characters at sea uh, did you notice that they were both appropriately dressed for a wedding and a funeral? Yes. Yeah, Shiv was wearing black. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was... Well, doesn't Roman say at the beginning, like, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the death of romance. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. here for. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? 
To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I wanted to ask you about Kendall. Yeah. Because I think that you mentioned Roman and Kieran Culkin's Emmy tape and this being a very like amazing Roman episode. Yeah. You talked about the actorly sort of gesture that Sarah Snook is sort of folding these um, tissues. I thought Roman constantly getting into uh, cross-legged sitting positions and like sitting on the floor and like when he's in a chair immediately... It, he was almost regressing to childhood. He was always, yeah. and he is obviously like a, a stunted person anyway, uh, in terms of emotional growth. But I thought it was really interesting that like he was the kid, you know, and in some ways, a lot of the emotional currents of the episode ran through him. He was the one worried about betrayal. He was the one who was uh -huh. doing the betraying, you know, going into this. And then he's the one who was worried about whether or not he had killed his father, you know? And like he's the only one that went to see him. Yeah, and he's the only one who, who went to Two go see him. Two episodes in a row, the only one who goes to see him. And I thought Sarah, Sarah Stink was amazing. You go into this and you're just like, Jeremy Strong's going to put up 35 and 18, you know? Like, mm -hmm. this is going to be... And it was that, but not the kind of performance that we're used to. It was... It was an incredible performance by him in this episode we, we we i think we may end up saying this every week like he may be annoying at craft services i don't care this is a, a pantheon performance of a character because what he has been doing this season and particularly in this episode is demonstrate that he is so profoundly attuned with the inner emotional life of a made-up person that he can 100 percent be him in radically different scenarios without really doing anything. And, you know, to use the sports analogy, you hear about sometimes great athletes being like, actually, when the crowd is the loudest, that's when it gets the quietest. Mm -hmm. um, or that's when the game, that's when the game feels small or the basket feels big, you know. Kendall is used to chaos, right? Like he actually seeks it out. He has addictive behavior. He was calm in this episode. He was professional, dare I say. He was competent. He showed 
charisma and leader leadership qualities that he has always professed to have, but ne- hasn't necessarily demonstrated. Yeah, you know, um, what was most striking about that was we haven't seen that in a while. We we saw birth order suddenly matter again. Sorry, Khan, but like the other siblings did look to him, you know, and did did cling to him in a way. And the last shot of the episode, though, was so remarkable, not just because of the, you know, the iceberg theory of acting where it's like, oh, it's all under the surface, but we see it. We had the sense that it was there and, yeah. and just the way he was playing it. And again, a testament both to Mark Mylott as a director and also, I guess, the, 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 the deep reservoirs of film still available at the Kodak Corporation <laughs> because I don't know how long they let it roll on his face. That's right. But that shot, if I remember it correctly, is Jeremy Strong's face giving us everything for the end of the episode. Who knows if this is one of those things where there was a line of dialogue or something that was written and you just cut it because you don't need it. But the other thing that was visible, I believe, was the moon. Yes. And, you know, as we all know, as lovers of the cosmos, the moon really only exists because it's in the orbit of the Earth. The moon is secondary. The moon is just hanging out because something bigger is there. And it got drawn in by that thing. Right. And if you do believe that that's what that is, because Stanley Kubrick... Uh, did fake the moon landing. It's uh, a great point. We, we've never been there. And should we go, maybe we'll find a different story. Just saying, flags waving? Not so sure. But they, they, they those are two satellites. That's an amazing point. And I don't say that enough to you. Thanks. Oh, that's thanks. a really good point. That's the last image that we have. And it was such a, a beautiful and subtle and artistic statement as to what we have in store for the next seven episodes. The Shakespearean stuff about... Succession gets thrown out around a lot. It, there, there's obvious Lear elements to it mm-hmm. because of the division of a kingdom and an inheritance. And um, I think that you could watch this episode and and Roman kind of going to his dead father. Roman obviously having this wild emotional connection to this this figure in a bag mm-hmm. being brought off a plane. The only one who goes to see him. And this is like Roman's Hamlet episode. Jeremy Strong has talked in the lead up to this season about Kendall being Richard the third and this mm. idea that like he has to destroy himself so much that when he finally gets what he wants, he's not even a real person anymore. Mm-hmm. So it'll be, you know, I doubt that Jesse Armstrong has got like the character beats of Shakespeare characters up on his whiteboard when he's thinking about this show. I think all British writers do, <laughs> but they, but, but maybe it's just ingrained into his brain mm-hmm. as like the way things work. So I don't know, maybe the, the, this is the big question. It's like, who is this show about now? Mm-hmm. You know, and it can be an ensemble, but when you think about the sort of like central dramas of the time that we've been podcasting, ultimately, there is a person that the show is about, even if it's an ensemble piece, right? You think about like, this show is going to end. Who's going to be in that last shot? I, you want my prediction? Not, it's, but it's not about who wins succession. This is what I mean. My prediction is this show is about the existential hollowness of capitalism. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Sunday night binge watchers. That's what the show is about. And I really feel like, you know, I saw some headlines like you get my Hollywood Reporter email and I know you read it over a plate of sliced melon after your laps in your pool, but, you know, we're all at different stations of life right, right now. And it was like the end game begins on succession. I'm like, yeah, motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> you thought this was billions? No. Yeah. It's not. It's about broken people, I think, grappling with the fact that they're broken. 
And that maybe even the chalice or crown that they're reaching for is tarnished. Yeah. You know? I, I, and I, that is heady. That is exciting. You know, I, I, I we, we keep, we said at the beginning that there was bravery in the storytelling. Like, you can't, they're not Trojan horsing it. You know what I mean? Like, so much of what we want from art these days and from filmed entertainment and what we've always wanted from the great novels that we love or the great films of Dickens, the past. Who, what have you. Mr. Yeah. Dickens, you yeah. know, my favorite. Thackeray, you know, minor figure really. But, um, but it is making, you know, very profound, maybe unsettling statements about the way we live or, or, or the way we live now, which was Trollope, you know, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but, but when we talk about it in 2023, we're really sifting in the dust because we're like, oh, you know, they managed to Trojan horse a little skepticism of global globalized government into Captain fucking America. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or that apparently like the Barbie movie is going to really have some thoughts about feminism. It's just like, and also from visual evidence and Greta Gerwig's career, but that's cool. But you know what I mean? But we're like, oh, thank goodness. Oh, they finally got that takeoff. I I, I can tell it was really bothering I've got weeks to do this. It's not out till the summer. What the fuck? Anyway, um, but my point being, like, we're so desperate for this stuff. We're like, well, we're going to Trojan horse it into something larger. And I would have been okay because this show is such a fun, entertaining, sumptuous feast that like, if Logan had died in episode nine of the final season and the emotional wreckage sifting was given... Jesse was talking about this. Some space. He was like, there's a version of this it, word. He dies in nine, the funeral's in 10. Yeah. That's the show is it, over. It, yeah. And we would have been like, okay, well, it really did have some interesting things to say in there, but boy, they were really on the on the way to the races to wrap things up. So we got what we, you know, as, as, as my children learned in nursery school, you get what you get and you don't get upset. This is not doing that. There's an opportunity here for him and his team to be like, no, this is what we were always saying. He also gets to have his cake and eat it too because now he gets to go back to making Succession, quote unquote. Do you know what I mean? Like he gets to go back to making Sunday night binge watch TV for three or four weeks because he's going to have this Gojo deal. And, you know, one of the things you talk about the empty hollowness of capitalism, those kids, their value literally depreciates the second their dad dies. The second he dies, that shot was incredible. People start treating treating them differently though. Yes, and they know it. Yeah. And, and they can tell, like, Jerry was not kissing the ring when, you know, obviously she had already been fired by Roman earlier in the episode. But when he's like, oh, I'm really feeling sad, she's just like, great, I gotta go, you know? Hugo has a slightly different edge to the way he's moving through the space. There's a lot of phone calls between Carl, Frank, Hugo, Carolina happening without the kids' knowledge, without the kids' say-so, without the kids' input. And there's a lot of eye-rolling that we haven't seen before. I would imagine that Hugo, Carolina... Frank, Carl's faces are permanently creased and their eyes are fucked up from rolling so much. Yeah. But we don't see that. Yeah. Um, now we now we see it more. But the, the value, the, I mean, we talk about their dramatic relationship to Logan, but within mm-hmm. the reality of this show, their value yeah. as people is now and, depreciated because of Logan's death. And that played specifically with Tom. And I think that we should, I mean, we should do this every week, but Matthew McFadgen is, is unbelievable. And it's unbelievable to have a world-class actor in a part that, you know, sometimes isn't even tertiary. Sometimes yeah. it's the fourth, fifth string. His, what this episode asked of him was really astonishing because he he had to be the grown-up um, for the people around him. And he and he was sober and he was emotionally involved. I also involved. don't really and, think Brian Cox is in on that plane. So Matthew McFadden yes. is essentially acting like 
yeah. this body double. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yes. Yeah. I, I think he was he was doing carpool karaoke at that point. And, <laughs> and we should talk about Cox's recent media tour and how it now makes a lot more sense. But but when he is trying to articulate his feelings and he's like, I'm sad, which is a word that I feel like these humans have never used before. But he is also realizing that he is completely exposed now. He made a dramatic existential play, which seemed like the smart play, but he lost his protector. He is not going to take over ATN, most likely. He has to send Greg. He's got a file on his computer called Logistics. I would have named it something else. <laughs> lunch orders or something. Made it a little less suspicious. Yeah. Um, Tons of dudes have lunch order files. <laughs> I do. I care about computer. I care about lunch. Um, it's it's the precarity of everyone's position is is That's very, very intense. You're a big lunch guy, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I love I wish I could just shoot a hypodermic needle full of protein into my artery now, for lunch. You you can. <laughs> I want to let you they may sponsor this podcast, the company that does that. I don't know. Um any skip lunch companies out there want to get at me. I, I lunch is the best one. Yeah. Lunch no. is the best meal. It makes me tired. Um that's why you take a siesta, as we do in Espana. <laughs> Can you imagine if I just, like, I'm a globalist I don't now. have to imagine, dude. I'm your friend. <laughs> it does. It does kind of track. Um, the, uh, oh, I wanted to talk about the, you know, people are, it was interesting watching these corroded nonsense figures try to give voice or physical movement to the humanity that does still somehow flicker within them. And Tom did the best at it. He did speak appropriately. You know, he, he took... He also leaked it. He, do you think that's what happened? I think it's the implication he, is that uh, Greg... I mean, yeah, you could say I, it's all sorts I, of like what Hugo said. I, He's like, who knows? It's Well, the Carolina thing did. about the, the tale, I do think people do track. I mean, there were Twitter sure, accounts Sure, and I'm tracking. sure there was like, they're calling into like a Teterboro Airport, I'm sure, is like also attract. calling the New York Post and being like, we've got Logan Roy's plane is coming back because of a medical emergency it, it, and it, they get paid 500 bucks for that, whatever. Immediately but true. I did think Absolutely. that Tom was sell- telling Greg, make sure everyone knows that I was with him. That's a good point too. Yeah. So, but but thinking about Tom as appropriate, he takes the abuse when, you know, she says something about her dad's body, but he then tries to comfort her and she takes the comfort and then remembers Mm-hmm. that they don't do that for each other or that's over and walks away. And the sadness in that moment was was palpable. You know, I, 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 it might be a broken record thing and I don't know, I'm curious what the majority of the viewership thought if they shared this, but like I found this a very emotionally affecting it was dra- episode. It was really draining. Like it, I, I, it took me a while to kind of like come down from it yes. in terms of, and not because I was like, I don't want to give away like things that happen in other series. There, are, there have been character deaths that I think I find upsetting because you develop a quasi-familial relationship with characters mm-hmm. that you spend years and years with or whatever. Uh, this was not that. It's not like I was like, not Logan, mm-hmm. my, my surrogate TV dad. You know, It was more just that I think it was the depiction. And I think it was the me- the mechanics of how they told the story. If there had been, if it had been Logan has fallen ill in Sweden and the kids fly to Sweden to say their goodbyes, yep. and it's even in that there's maybe some complications, I would have been like, yeah, only on succession could somebody jump on a PJ and be in Stockholm in eight hours and, and have this conversation. But, but if they work for Spotify, they might. 
we'll we'll find out. Yeah, you know, maybe ex- maybe you and I can test that this summer. But <laughs> we're all excited about that. Uh, I think it's worth hammering on this point again, which is we're conditioned, uh, even with the best intentions, to expect certain things from our televised entertainment, and it's not just the parenthood like very special episode, but clearly something's going to happen. Stuff. It's seeing it it's seeing him cough a few times and there's flecks of blood on the handkerchief Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like what was so wild was that as it's very clear that he's going that he's dead i mean this guy's been dying the entire series but there's a part of our lizard brains that's just like well there's going to be a miraculous turn or we're waiting for the other shoe to drop or we are all roman in that moment well i mean i think that was with the kendall thing is i was like what an amazing misdirect if this entire series has been building up to Logan mm-hmm. like passing away or passing on his empire and like what happens is it's all for nothing because his firstborn son takes his own life in a swimming pool somewhere. Well, I, I did that too in like the ninth minute of the episode where I was like, is Roman going to jump off this fucking boat? I just kept, I kept fucking wondering about all of them. When Kendall goes up to the top of the boat, I'm like, oh, I guess, is this guy going to take and, a, a dive? Like this is going to be too much. And that's also the power of the show is is not indulging our more extravagant, melodramatic TV brain assumptions yeah. or fantasies. Like, the worst thing that could happen was this relatively non-event thing. Like, there was nothing special about this. Yeah, it's a, at a fraught time for the company, which will play out over the next few weeks. But, you know, as, as Kendall says, you know, we, we're not estranged. We had a meeting last night. Yeah, right. Um, but there, it's like, it's, it's sort of like, that's such a perfect beat because it's like when you or having a conversation with someone where there's like a kind of a transactional nature or a business relationship and you're like, you're basically trading like who was closer to this person. Yeah. Well, I talked to this person just yesterday and like, and it was like, well, I happened to talk to them an hour ago. So this is, you know, those people on that plane are kind of, whether or not intentionally or not, are now inferring a level of intimacy. They're like, we were with this guy when he died. We have been stuck in the air with this guy for hours. Mm-hmm. We watch them get chest compressions. You were estranged and you're distraught. So we're going to handle the business side of this to try and save this company from watching this stock price go off a cliff right before we're supposed to sell it, you know? And those kids are trying to say, no, it's our blood ties to this guy that make us the most intimate and the most correct choice Mm -hmm. to sort of be the face of this. And, you know, the negotiations that happen where they're like, well, it's important that Carolina and Frank and, and, and Carl have their names in the statement. Yeah, You know, I, I just thought all that little stuff, you know, when the episode began, I was a little confused because the kids are now, we're now back on this deal needs to go through. Yep. Which they, they kind of keep going oscillating on. And I thought for a second, I was a little thrown off because you know, they've done everything they can to mm-hmm. sort of slow it down, but now need it to go through so that they can buy peers. Mm-hmm. And it's, they still don't know that Roman had gone to mm-hmm. Logan and had sort of said, you know, okay, I'll come meet Matson with you and all this other stuff. So the business stuff goes on. We'll, we'll have to see. They just needed to keep it busy. I, I think, yeah, I think we should talk about what happens going forward on screen and also behind the scenes and the decision-making. But I just one last point. The auteur idea of television is way overcooked and overused. There are a lot of people that make the show what it is. But I do think ultimately an individual or a, a team's fingerprints needs to be over something for it to be successful, just for it to be tonally consistent and aesthetically consistent and have one to speak with, for a show to speak with one voice uh-huh. ultimately. And, and that is Jesse Armstrong in this. And I saw recently this idea resurfacing that I, I think we've even touched on in the past, which is 
is it weird that this is an unsexy show? There are no sex scenes. I feel like we talked to him about that or Casey. Like, it came up at some point. Yeah. That, like, it's not, well, yeah. You know, that, I, yeah. I, or maybe Casey told us this once that basically, like, you know, HBO's like, you know, you could you could have sex scenes. And him just being like, I'm not really comfortable doing that. That doesn't feel right. And, you know, as a fan or a viewer being like, oh, it, it's odd that he's cutting off part of human expression, you know, or an right. opportunity what was really remarkable to me in this episode was just how it is a reflection of what he is comfortable with and what he's good at. And what he is ultimately good at is people who retreat into the safety of language or the cerebral thinking or the brain. You know, it's certainly not the heart or the body or the libido or anything like that. And this episode was about the limitations of that. You know what I mean? It's not just retreating to a place where he feels safe and, ooh, the icky stuff I don't want to write about or think about, or it doesn't apply to my characters. That that stuff doesn't happen in this curated world. It was more that this was an episode about the limits of that. The way they said, I think I'm sad, you know? Or Roman's like, I think when this goes away, I'm going to be sad. Like, it's... Does, it, don't it, you think that, that the sexual aspect of it is like an incredible extension of that? Yes, that's like, what I mean. It's all know, like one thing. Roman, you don't, I, his sexuality is pretty ambiguous anyway. You know, it, it seems like he's into his, his, uh, his trainer. He's into Jerry. He's mm-hmm. in, you know. Is he into Ken- Matson? Yeah, we don't know. Kendall is essentially into drugs. And mm-hmm. I don't know that is necessarily like he talks about sex, mm-hmm. but he doesn't ever perform it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shiv, I think, what, did, did you give like Nate a handy in like one episode? She, well, she had an affair yeah. uh, and it apparently has, you know, they, they make fun of her a lot for having like a, you know, a lot of notches in her bedpost, so to speak. But right. it's transactional, it right. seems. And you don't really get to but, see, you know, like it's not, it's not germane to the drama of the show. No, but these, uh, germane is actually Jerry's full name, which is interesting. <laughs> these characters do not relax. They do not experience pleasure. They don't have those things. And I I, I don't know if I'm articulating it fully. No, but you like, are. I understand what but, you're saying. But, but this is this is not a writer who has limitations. This is because all writers have limitations. This is not a writer retreating from it. This is a writer taking those limitations and making it the text of the show. That that, you know, he is the grand maester of hugs that look like hits. Yeah. You know, the way that the physical comforting happened in this episode felt like sometimes they would lurch towards each other like Kendall would give Roman an arm when they did finally hug you know it was one in front and one in back like they just had they'd collapsed you know there was something kind of just desperate and untamed Uh, about it the sort of um the gesture Roman makes to Connor yes where he's kind of like almost like pulling on his yeah jacket sleeve but sort of a a massaging but it's kind of a hug and it's just like but they don't yeah these people don't know how to communicate physically they don't know how to do it even yeah. though they clear, cl- clearly recognize the need um, I was really blown away by you that. talk about writers having limitations mm. what's Dickens's oh um, well more that he just doesn't get enough word count well I, I think he was a little tough on the super rich you know <laughs> I, I just don't think he understood that they're they're job creators uh, wealth generators yeah it seems almost like I don't really know what to say about like what happens next. I mean, you can watch the mid-season trailer that's like in the following weeks on Succession. <laughs> it's did quite long. I did not watch uh, it, but it's also essentially what you would expect, which is there is a power struggle for the future of this company that Alexander Skarsgård seems to be cooking, uh, and that honestly, now at this point, you know. I've always watched this show and wanted it to be exist in this sort of like special little hiding place where it doesn't get 
it's not about like, oh, I figured out this show. Yeah. Or this show, like, and somebody was, I, I saw in our Facebook group posted and uh, the poster for this season had the plane in the reflection of the window that they're That's standing cool. against. So I'm did, sure. Did last season have the floaty in the pool? I don't know. Or mm-hmm. maybe, uh, but, but. A vat of limoncello. <laughs> um, I think that uh, there's, it's certainly okay to watch the show that way, but. In some ways, like if you're watching a TV show that kills off one of the main characters in the third episode of the final season, I think we're all admitting we don't know what's going to happen. That's know? and that's very rare and that's very thrilling and it it's a it's a it's a good thing. I think it's also worth noting Brian Cox is no longer on the show. Mm-hmm. That's wild. It's a also a pantheon performance and character. He, I just wish he would do an interview about it. <laughs> He was so good in these first two episodes of the season. Um, you, I, I'm surprised. I don't believe, like, it was like literally like every website was like Brian Cox on his. It was, it was yeah. like horseandhound.co.uk with an exclusive Brian Cox he, interview. I, I, I don't think he's done playing this character. I think that he will be on the season again. He has a, said, said as much. In a, oh, he did? Okay. That's a flashback. Yeah. That, that, was my, that was my prediction because it's just too much. And also, I'm sure he's still getting paid as episodic. <laughs> but but yeah, in terms of tea leaves stuff, I think it's pretty clear when he just like, you know, it's just like finally un, uncorked. You know, like like he can't, you can't stop him anymore. And I he know. was just talking wild shit about method actors and doing all this press stuff. That was pretty clear that his time was was nearly done. Um, I, I you said you didn't really want to, want to talk about it. I, I am kind we of can't sp- talk about it. I just I, meant, like I don't really know that I I don't have some like clubhouse favorite. Of no, what's no, I don't mean happen. the prediction. You didn't want to talk about um, maybe because you wanted to get to your recap, but like the <laughs> the the behind the scenes inside baseball. Sorry, stuff. sorry for doing the work. It's know? fine. Someone has to. Yeah. Um, I I did think it was interesting. That so this can I explain the screener thing? I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. I don't, you can stop listening now if you just want the the new critics. Like we just talked about the text, but I did think it was interesting from a, from just an industry perspective. Is that those of us who cover the show were given the first four episodes as often we are, like about a month ago, you know, before the season started. We got a with them. We got a message, not a personal message, but I think anyone who received the screeners got a message from Jesse Armstrong, being like, "So excited for you to to share these with you." Um, obviously no spoilers, but please, please also don't do, this is, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, don't do the cutesy thing where you're like, gotta watch this one. So immediately we were like, okay, so something big happens in the first half of the season. So that already gave it away by asking us not to give it away to a degree. I think we, in a text, we were like, Logan will probably die early. It just felt like the thing. Um, And then I put a million dollars on that. A fan tool, you and Drake. (laughs) Um, But then... But we don't watch ahead. We watch one episode because That's we discipline. are, yeah, because it's <laughs> discipline, and we we you know we are, we're just the this this is this is the 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 um the blue collar podcast. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? We're just we're in the trenches with the with the viewers. And we, then, I don't want to go talk about episode two, pretend like I don't know what happens yeah, I, in episode I, three if I've I've seen. I couldn't do three. that. So yeah. we watch it. We watch it the week of, and we podcast about it because it's also more fun for us. Then they pulled the screeners. Mm-hmm. Which causes people like us to, as a uh, practical note, be like, we don't have screeners for this week. Which telegraphs to our listeners the thing that they asked us not to telegraph. Well, we could have just been like, we're not going to record on Sunday. We're not going to have our episode up on Sunday night. Yeah, but then they would have thought we were slackers. And they already think that about me, but I won't have them think that about you. (laughs) Not when when I'm 
crafting these recaps. No, you, know? it's, you work too hard for that to happen. So it was weird. It's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't, and ultimately it doesn't matter because what, like 900,000 people what watch it do? on Sunday nights. I mean, nights, they could just have not sent Screeners out and that would have been... Or send the first two. Frustrating, but like, yeah, I mean, I think that if... Uh, the relationship between a show and how a show can influence the conversation mm-hmm. about that show is way inside baseball, but it is pretty fascinating. Um, you know, this idea... There are some shows that get sent the whole season out so that they can kind of like give people mm-hmm. a sense of like, here's where things are going. If I had to guess, I would think that those first few episodes were sent out to guard against people after the first two being like, so we're just going to like... It's going to do the same thing. We're just going to negotiate yeah. with one another no, they, for 10 episodes? They, wanted, okay. they got too cute. I mean, they don't need my Hugo and Carolina advice here, but like they wanted the reviews to be like, wow, this season is really the final season and they're going for it without saying why. Right. And the first two episodes were really, really strong in a lot of ways, but also treading water in others. Yeah. Um, which is not uncommon with this show, as we've talked about in previous seasons. But, you know, I don't know. It, there's no way to win this, and ultimately it doesn't matter. Um, it actually, I mean, like, honestly, like it was kind of cool. Like, I mean, a lot of the times when we do recaps for recaps, when we do reaction, I, I, I pods, don't do recaps. Yeah, I know. I think you graduated. Uh, <laughs> When we do these, it's like you're kind of doing it into a void so you don't get to see the other discourse or, or listen to the Prestige mm-hmm. TV pod or, or, or what other or sort of viewpoints on it. So it was kind of cool to watch the show, have a mild panic attack, then go read a bunch of pieces that had been written in advance for the episode and kind of get a sense of how people were feeling about it. I, I wouldn't make a habit yeah. of it, but it was, it was, it was interesting. I don't. Yeah, I, I just, haven't seen anything. I haven't seen any zags where people are like, "This wasn't good." I just. I see. That's what, that was your process. I watched the episode in real time, then took half a Xanax and left a voicemail for my dad. Did you really? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what, what if we opened up the next era of podcasting with like guys? Radical transparency about yeah. my my relationship with my mm-hmm. parents. Anything else? Uh, couldn't be more excited about the rest of the season and about um, Bad Batch coming back for a third and final season. Right. Wow. That also. Finally, finally, cartoon Thrawn will line up with live action Thrawn. Yeah. Like it's been a big, big weekend for for the real Victorian literature fans like us. You know what I mean? Um let's do we'll come back on Thursday. I mean, like we have to contractually. <laughs> that was but, weird. <laughs> uh I like was gonna say that we'll we'll talk about Top Chef then. I had like a like a cutesy, oh. like, why don't we just do Top Chef at the end? But then Kai hadn't seen it. Oh, Kai, you gotta see it. I'm caught up. She knows. She just spent too much time I'm watching Vanderpump. Tonight. Yeah. 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 No, I didn't mean that derisively. What did, she, what did you say she was doing? She watched too much Vanderpump this weekend. Oh. Was I it didn't a, have time. Was it a big Vander weekend? Yeah, you know. It was just... Is it always... Oh, because it was like the thing where the Toms were like, this is what I did to these women, right? Yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's, a, it's an addicting show. Wow. I'll say. And then uh, she didn't want to watch Top Chef because she almost blew up her grill. Oh. And it was like... I did a chicken thigh incident on Friday. What do you want? Um, you didn't call. I'm, I'm the chicken doctor on this podcast. This is. <laughs> she didn't call me. It was. She definitely late. didn't call you. Well, if it was wet chicken, it would have probably not lit on fire. It's a this great point. True. If you had just, if you had just applied a liberal dose of H2O, <laughs> I'll get Chris's a, recipe for a flame retardant. <laughs> Some people they want that those scorch marks, but not in the Ryan house. No, no, just rubbery and <laughs> great. Wow. Gray and and then a thick slice of loony cake for dessert afterwards. That was a great line. That was dark. Yeah, uh, great to see you. Thanks to Kai McMullen for producing us, and we'll be back on Thursday, probably a little bit more upbeat, I would imagine. Do you think? Like, 
Can you imagine if this was the first, if someone had like not watched Succession and then just decided to tune in for this one? <laughs> like that would have been a really weird impression of the show. Um, yeah. They would be like, is Brian Cox on this show? Yeah. I was told. What's the deal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I just phoned it in. All right. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. See you Thursday. <laughs> 